Welcome to the New Deal Podcast. June 2021. In this episode, we explore how IT services have helped schools that serve children with severe disabilities survive and even thrive during the COVID pandemic. So what do you think of when you hear IT? I think about all the things that I don't know about how to use the technology and all the platforms that there are. And it makes me extraordinarily nervous that I'm going to make a mistake and I won't be able to get on Zoom when I have a meeting. And will I be able to fix my computer in time? It's not a happy thought. When I come in contact with Text. They have so much information, but I don't know how to make it relate to what I need to do. And then they'll say something. Um, even the help desk, desk ticket I got last week was, "Well, did you did you um, refresh your catch c a c h e and use a different browser?" And I just text emailed it back and I said, "I used a different browser, but I don't know how to. I don't even know what a catch is." <laughs> And it just makes me feel very stupid. <laughs> um, I would think of an IT tech. Um, in my school, we have an IT team that we go to to troubleshoot any um, technical issues, any issues we're having with our email, any issues we're having on the server, internet, things like that. Um, so that's what I think of when I hear IT. I am here today with John Rawls. He is the network administrator uh, in a day and residential school for students up to age 21 who have severe multiple disabilities, usually resulting from cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, or other neurological impairments. The school has an emphasis on uh, assistive technology and their support services include 24-hour nursing, social work, nutrition therapy, and medical supervision, um, and it is in Philadelphia. So welcome, thank you for coming today. All right, so we have, I have a few questions for you today. And the first is, um, how did the pandemic uh, influence what you were doing in terms of your day-to-day work? One day when this all started, I believe it was uh, March 13th of 2020, I believe, when, when this whole thing started, it was, announced that we would be closing for one week. It kind of has kept going from there uh, until uh, maybe a few months ago, we started vaccinating the staff. We have a deal with uh, a hospital here in Philly that uh, it has um, allowed us to rapid test everyone when they go in the building. Um, People who don't work directly with students don't get tested as often. Um, people who work with students get tested every day. Um, and uh, um, we've just started bringing some residential students. So you were, your work in IT. So how did, how did that work? How was that influenced by this pause in the world? Well, I was lucky. I was able to work uh, entirely from home remotely. Uh, we immediately had to uh, get 
laptops for all the staff, which was a challenge uh, financially and, and um, physically because uh, we couldn't all go see each other to hand these laptops to each other. So it required to you know mail them and stuff. And students, uh, we started doing remote learning almost immediately. Uh, and that was uh, a challenge as well because we had never done that before. It, it, our students require a lot of hands-on kind of getting some of them to even pay attention to a, a computer screen is a challenge as well. It was all uh, learn as you go. How about um, doing support services, therapy services? Was that done online? Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, social work, um, uh, therapies, physical therapies, um, a lot. Uh, parents were involved, of course. Um, uh, our therapists would show them how to, what to do and speech therapy, occupational therapy. Um, we adapted situations to, to, to accommodate. And, and how did, how was the technology introduced? I mean, had these people been using technology before for this type of thing? Never before for remote learning or remote therapies. Um, we uh, coordinated with other schools, asked them how they were going to be doing it. And they coordinated with us, asking us how we were doing it because uh, uh, it was kind of not done widely before this. Um, not, it, not that we knew of anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge undertaking. Did you know these people ahead of time? I mean, how did these networks come up? Um, the, the other schools that we talked with, um, yeah, we, we, we know other schools. Whenever, occasionally challenges are, uh, come up that, uh, like one of us, like I'll call an IT person at another school because uh, we have pretty unique communication devices for the students and things like that. And sometimes they have to be networked. And Was the assistant, uh, the assistant technology that the kids were using, was that networked to the school? Yeah, we, we have some of, I mean, they use our internet. The devices receive updates like your computer does. And those have to be done over the internet and they, they connect our network to a limited degree, you know. Um, and so that was going on at home that these were, were being used now. Yeah, yeah. We had, to, we had to make sure that all the staff had decent internet connections, students as well. What, what happened to the staff and the students who didn't have decent internet connections? Stipends of, of um, basically, we're gonna use money to make sure that you get a decent broadband connection. Can, you can do full motion video. Oh, so you were using full motion video like if you were doing physical therapies. Yeah. That was, kind of, so what kind of assistant technology? Zoom. We were using Zoom, basically. Oh, wow. In the okay. beginning, in the beginning, it was kind of tough because of the, I don't know if you remember that Zoom had a lot of uh, issues with um, security uh, in the beginning. I, I can't speak to exactly what was all involved in that at the time, but um, we, we had to assure people that we were using passwords and, and, you know, for all our, so that people were worried that like somebody was going to break in onto a therapy session and start talking to their kid, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, I mean, we were all kind of worried about that. None of us knew what we were doing at first. I mean, I remember a lot of schools were all suddenly, 
you know, <laughs> doing virtual learning. And uh, you, you heard did reports you on the news all the time. Hmm? Did that happen? Did anybody no. have a break-in? It never oh, happened to us. I mean, we're a small school, 55 students. We're not like a big target for hackers or anything. It's not like somebody looked up a, an important school and said, hey, let's get in on that. You know, it didn't happen okay. much for us, but but we were concerned about it anyway. I mean, you know. Well, what role do you think that tech played in education? I mean, before this? It, at our school, a lot. We, we've We've always used uh, a lot of technology in the classrooms. Uh, some of the kids respond to music and we bring, uh, we have one teacher especially who's amazing uh, with adaptive music and um, trying to get the students to play instruments and stuff like that. But the, 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 the technology itself uh, is, is a lot of it's used to help the students respond. They can't, um, like see or hear the same way you and I do, the, the technology would be used to assist in that way. And there were, uh, all of the classrooms have uh, computers and laptops and screen TVs and cameras to help, like the students see themselves on camera as it helps them, they respond to that as well. There's, there's a lot of technology in every classroom. Yeah, was that able, were you able to use those features when you had to go virtual? Yeah, yeah, we got, we did, we did have to buy a lot of new stuff, but for the most part, we, we, uh, we used, we had used a lot of the technology before, so a lot of it wasn't brand new um, for most of us. Uh, some, of, some of the teachers and therapists had to be taught how to use uh, camcorders, and, or not camcorders, you know, webcams and, and uh, and microphones and laptops, <laughs> some of them. And did you find that as part of your job that you were having to also educate the teachers on how to use this technology? Yes, yeah, that was that was a challenge as well because there were a lot of teachers and, and therapists who some, some are more uh, open and, and have, have a better feel for the technology than others. Some, barely use any technology at all, um, but some use a lot of it heavily. So I, there were some that we had to teach how to things like Zoom and feel comfortable communicating and speaking to groups of people on Zoom. Whereas, uh, you know, I mean, we all had to learn that really. Um, you think that's gonna influence how technology works in, in schools, especially in your kind of situation? Is that going to be something that's going to expand? I, I hope so. Um, right now, there are challenges with people returning to schools, and I, I know people people who work in uh, mainstream schools like high schools and stuff, and and our school currently, when the administrators said everyone come back in and we can have some students remote learning and some students in classroom, they didn't consider the fact that every classroom in the school would be live streaming um, and the amount of bandwidth that would require. <laughs> so many, um, many administration and, and, and um, students who were trying to, to learn from outside the school, parents who were watching it occur in their living rooms, 
uh, became frustrated because they didn't understand that we're using a lot of bandwidth. It's a lot more going in and out of the school. So every school is now upgrading all their, their internets to the highest possible imaginable uh, amount of speed you can get. So Yeah, so you think, you think this, this will change the way these programs are gonna be organized in the future, even past the pandemic? Yeah, I, yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, I like I like the uh, ease of it, and and I like the fact that we, we've already talked about continuing with like at home learning uh, and remote learning and remote therapies uh, afterwards, just to broaden our our base, our student base. Um, we could we could teach we could teach students in other countries, require less traveling, and you and so- you think. Your program's thinking about, I mean, they could think about moving into a country that has no services available. We've talked about a lot of things. Yeah, like that. We've talked about setting up uh, sort of a a TV studio in-house that would be uh, like for remote learning specifically um, and for teachers and therapists who who were doing better at that than other teachers and therapists would start doing that more. Uh, could open doors for lots of students who can't travel two, three hours a day or a week to, to come to our school, uh, help us reach a, a bigger population. During the pandemic, was there ever an interruption in terms of services, did you find? Not, no, not with us. Uh, a lot of schools had that. But we were we weren't ready for it. But we immediately had brainstorming like that night where we were when we start when we talked about closing the school for a week. Uh, there were meetings and there was like people saying oh, we could do this, 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 and this, and and we uh, managed to drop it into place very quickly. Um, there were hiccups along the way, but um, we did get it going really quickly. And who was part of those meetings? Was it? I mean, how were they organized? Like, who who decides who? IT, of course, um, uh, administration, um, finance, the the people who are going to be paying for all this. Um, you know, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the therapists and teachers who would be the therapists and teachers who would be um, uh, facilitating. The, Is that common in your school that when an issue comes up? that you meet as a group and, and have these brainstorming sessions, something you've ever done before? Yeah, we, we've had other situations occur, like where uh, suddenly everybody's like, oh, here's a new thing we have to adapt to, you know, and it occurs. And, the, and when a new technology becomes available, like um, new communication devices and things like that, we'll all get together and see what would be the best way to use use that to to the advantage of the most people we can. And do you think that's because your school serves children with special needs or is it the is it the culture of your school that allows for this to happen? Um it feels like I'm bragging, but I think the people at the school I work at we're we're really good at this stuff. Um we uh we we've been working with these I've been there 30 years. Um, a lot of the staff at at the school have been there for 
long periods of time like that. Um, my, supervisor, my supervisor's been there uh, like 38 years. So it's, <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we're really dedicated to things work. Amazing teamwork. I mean, it yeah. sounds like having that voice is something really essential to your we're organization. We're really proud of it. We're really proud of it. Yeah. Just in terms of what do you think lessons you've learned through the pandemic? What do you think it's brought to your school system in terms of the big picture? The ability to learn how to survive a pandemic. Um, we weren't, we, none of our kids got sick. Um, we had only one staff member become sick. Very careful. The school actually stayed shut um, to people going in and out besides facility staff and some IT staff for months at a time um, because we weren't willing to risk anyone getting sick. So we figured out how to survive financially, how to survive logistically to extraordinary circumstances. And um, we saw that we could do it. And now we kind of feel like we could take on anything, um, except a volcano. We have no answer for volcanoes right now. So. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Uh, you gave a terrific insight on what's going on in terms of lessons learned and how technology can really support schools and children. So thank you so much for speaking with Welcome. me. Thank you. I'm happy to do so. was interesting uh, during the interview was the way that, uh, and we heard this with the school nurse as well, um, was, was the fact that the community that they had formed of other IT specialists really helped them during the pandemic. And we've seen that again and again and again is the, the use of community and communication in really helping people deal with crisis. Yeah, I think if one thing we can take from the pandemic um, and just our, you know, current um, and a lot of things going on currently is that um, informal networks may play as significant a role as kind of more formal um, networks within our systems and across systems. Um, I, I think that's, I think we, you know, we do have the tools to be able to reach out and, and build um, our own, um, you know, networks of support, whether it's by role or by context. Um, and that's a really exciting um, thing to kind of, you know, see how that evolves. Yeah, it felt like there was definitely a sharing of information in a way you don't normally see. Um, it wasn't, you know, fees attached to find out this piece of info or how you do this. People just really, things were evolving so quickly 
that people just really needed to make decisions so quickly and figure out what they were going to do and wanted to pull it seems like the best practices from everybody that they were in, you know, conversation with and in connection with. And I thought that made a world of difference. I would love to see that um, carry forward with us as we move, you know, kind of into the next phase of this. Strong now that you need to have a community in place with practice and knowing one another and working over the problems uh, together before these things happen so that when things happen, not if, there's preparation. And I'm wondering, you know, how schools will take this forward because it seems like such a strong lesson. I think it requires though a bit of vulnerability that people aren't normally used to exposing themselves in that way. Um, people tend to feel a little guarded, maybe are a bit fear fearful of feeling like they don't have the right answers. But I feel like this kind of really, the pandemic forced people to kind of strip that away a bit and say like, no, like we need all of our minds put together in order to figure out what we do for X, Y, and Z. And this is what we think of typically as one of the hallmarks of, of really good leadership, right? Is being able to get people from varying skill sets or varying viewpoints to like coalesce around a, a communal vision. And that doesn't happen by accident. Right? And I think that that's something that uh, we probably don't give enough credit to, right? Like in, in popular culture, we very often think of leaders as being sort of like, the person leading a project who's the public face of something rather than somebody behind the scenes who's doing all this work requires a, a great deal of like emotional vulnerability. So, so I was saying for him, it has to be exponentially more difficult because his school is so specialized. So for me, um, in a district, I reach out to a neighboring district or even, you know, a, another school like mine for him. The school seemed very, very specialized. So for him to seek feedback, I'm sure it took a lot of extra effort on his part and, you know, probably a you know, geographical, geographically, you know, expand his network, which isn't a bad thing. Um, it's actually quite a good thing. So he's, he's probably much further along just because he is so specialized and he's able to seek out those um, you know, there's other specialized schools. I was just amazed that, that all they accomplished, um, you know, in working with their students. And I can only imagine the challenges that he took on and how he overcame them. He was really impressive. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Kevin. Um, some of what John said seemed to really embody um, vision statement one. Uh, I really appreciated how um, John mentioned about even even the faculty had um, a, you know um, kind of need there um, some faculty needed um, a better performing broadband connection in order to do their work some faculty needed a stipend to make sure that they were able to get the, uh, a device um, I, I remember quite clearly and I think John painted a beautiful picture of what that Friday March uh, March 13th was actually like. Um, there was faculty that was, um, I, I recall, scrambling to try to say like, well, what device is my student going to use at home? What am I going to use? Um, what's, you know, what, what platforms or programs am I going to run? I myself remember thinking, am I going to be able to run Genesis, do course requests from home um, on, my, <laughs> on my device at home? At that point, I, I didn't know our school my daughter's school district was going to provide a device. So I'm thinking, okay, we're sharing a device. What's going to happen in, 
it was stressful. So I, I was really impressed by um, kind of this like innate commitment to every stakeholder that John expressed. Everybody needed support and resources, um, the students, the families, the teachers, uh, and that, that shown through in, in your wonderful interview um, with John, uh, Susie. Yeah, and I think it really shows that it, the old model of that top-down leadership, you know, that, that one leader who can solve all the world's problems and comes out, you know, heroic, it, it cannot work. There's no way. There has so many different parts, and it's not just the parts within a school, but it's those parts reaching out to other similar you know, people in a similar situation um, that can really cause schools to get through this successfully. I'll be interested to see in this school and maybe all of our schools, you know, that our team represents, how many fundamental changes around technology, especially, but in other ways, will carry on beyond the pandemic into, uh, you know, the fall and hopefully the winter and the spring as hopefully things get better, not just in our country, but internationally and the world feels it's a little bit more normal. How much of this will carry on? And, and will we use this as an opportunity? Because remember turbulence, at high levels also offers an opportunity for things to improve and to innovate. And we he mentioned, and many, most of what he's talking about were, were you know, really important innovations. And I wonder how many of those will, will people will take advantage of and, and, and will innovate. We'll have to see about that. This is our segment called, What's the Big Deal? Where we answer questions from listeners like you who post questions on Facebook, LinkedIn and on our website. So please be sure to join our uh, email list so that you can add your questions as well. And today, the question for what's the big deal comes from New York City. And the question is, New York City has said schools will open fully in person with no remote option in the fall. Do you believe this is in the best interest of the children and the teachers? I took it as Mayor de Blasio's statement of kind of a, a power statement that he was going to be macho and muscle through this. I use all those words advisedly. We've mentioned many times how for some students, this is a, going to be a benefit for them past the pandemic. So the idea that it's sort of like no exceptions, no excuses is sort of what, what I call tough guy rhetoric. And I think it's probably insensitive and off topic. Well, I get worried about things like zero tolerance and anything which is, doesn't have any give in the system. And it seems to me that th this is problematic. For it can be dangerous to say something like, this is what we're gonna do at a certain time. So I worry about that. Right, I, I, it made me think about kind of zero tolerance thinking and policies as well. Um, and I think that we know from, um, lots of research that zero tolerance policies tend to um, impact our some of our most vulnerable um, student groups um, more than um, others and, and they bear the, the shoulder the burden of um, the after effects of sort of zero tolerance suspension policies and um, and that sort of thing so if, if we're talking about all or nothing thinking when it comes to um, that it's all it's fully in person you know, what impacts will that have on, on um, vulnerable student groups, I think would be an important question. You know, I see it as a <clears throat> dilemma we're all gonna face 
at some point you have to make a decision about what you're going to do. Um, otherwise you're spinning your wheels and you're not prepared for anything. Um, you know, the difficulty becomes, you know, when is that time? What is the right time to make that decision? To me, it's awfully early um, to make a decision and say, everybody's coming back with so many unknowns. I also understand the flip side of that. And I'm not, I'm not at all saying this is why he made that statement or made the decision. Um, because at some point you, you just have to say, this is the direction we're going, prepare for that. And, you know, just prepare for whatever comes along with that. But I, I don't feel his decision was, like Susie said, really thought out or made from the right place. Um, I do think it's dangerous at this point to make that declaration. So I keep going back to your work and Jackie's work, Joan, with what's in the best interest of the students. And there may be students who are this far away from saying, well, we're gonna do homeschooling because you know, for, for a lot of reasons, and maybe they're legitimate reasons. And now we've got technology and practice that would allow for that student perhaps to stay in the school community, if maybe at a distance, if maybe for only a little while. And Steve, I think you make a good point. And that's something we talked about when we were talking about the interview with John, was the fact that there's all this wonderful innovation that's gone on in terms of technology. And people just wanna throw it out the window. But I'm not saying that this is what we should be fully relying on. I think children do learn better for the most part in the classroom, for the most part. But we've also learned a lot of lessons from the pandemic in terms of what we can do with technology. And if we simply say there's no remote options, um, that, that's gone. Anything that we've learned is, is thrown out the window and, and we're stuck in the same system all the time. And is this gonna be the last crisis where we'll need to all be locked down or be in our houses? I seriously doubt it. You also wonder like where the pressure is coming from to make that kind of decision. Um, what groups that pressure is coming from? Is um, fatigue playing into it at all? We've been, you know, a lot of districts have been remote for the entire year. And is it just a matter of, you know, people are tired and want to see things get back to the way they used to be? So you do wonder, you know, kind of where that decision making has come from. And like many have already said, um, you would hope it's in the best interest of the student, but in this case, it doesn't really feel like it is. You know, how, how, the, how a decision like that about it being, you know, no remote, you know, no thinking about it uh, type thing um, that affects the different stakeholder groups so, so differently. And um, I, I think one of the things that I'm awfully attuned to are the stakeholder groups that um, their voices just are underrepresented in, the, in those dialogues when, when, when the people with positional power, whomever they may be, are sitting around the table. Um, are they thinking about our chronically absent students? Are they thinking about our students who are, you know, a month from making the final decision to drop out of school only, only to, you know, maybe a month later decide that was the wrong decision, but there's no pathway back. Um, I, I think about those, those groups that um, just often are not part of the, of the, whatever it is that pushes that decision um, to be made, you know, to Kevin's point that, that a decision does in fact need to be made. I just hope that all of our groups can be, um, you know, consider the needs of our, our students. Well, don't forget to send your questions in to the New Deal podcast. We would love to hear from you and feature your question on the next segment of What's the Big Deal? Uh -huh.